Our New Testament reading will be coming from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. I invite you to follow along with me as the word is proclaimed. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. And whoever hates a brother or a sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need but yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action, And by this we will know that we are from the truth and we reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, our God is greater than our hearts, for he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask. Because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of the Son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Andy, as you can tell, he's out of town. He is preaching a homecoming service at Johnston Chapel. So we, we pray for him, wish him well. He's actually outside. So He's in the heat, we're in the AC, so I think we're doing a lot better than he is right now. But we do want to remember Andy while he's not here with us. But I got really excited when he asked me to preach uh, one of the services on July 5th because, of course, it's the day after Independence Day, and I'm a history buff. And so I was like, yes, more than than likely I'll throw in some history, American history, in this sermon. So just get ready. But one thing I do want to kind of talk about and it does tie into John's letter that we read, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 24. It's a lot of the events that were leading up to the American Revolutionary War and in the Independence Day that we celebrated yesterday. If you could put yourself back to the 1760s, a few hundred years back, uh, there were, we would have been British colonists in that day and age. And at the time, we would be under the authority of the king and in parliament in Great Britain. And the parliament and the king in Great Britain would need to raise funds for their ever-growing empire. So what would they do? They would tax their colonists overseas. So in the 1760s, the American colonists received taxes known as the Stamp Act, Sugar Act, Townsend Acts, and others. And our colonists would have probably have gone along with it if they felt like they had a say in those acts. But they did not. They were not represented. Their voices were not heard but yet they were required to pay them. And there were many other issues that were leading to the tension of the colonists and the crown back overseas. And eventually this tension in the 1770s would kind of boil over into some physical altercations. You would have the Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, which really got the king mad. 
And then at that point, he decided to, in Parliament, declare that Boston and Massachusetts were in open rebellion. They would send in the troops, force them to stay, and close down the harbor. It kind of forced the hand of the colonists. What are they going to do next? Are they going to accept British rule, or are they going to push back for what they think is right? What was their next step? Well, as we get closer into uh, 1775 we remember the story of Paul Revere. When the British found out that the Patriots were storing weapons in Concord, and Paul Revere's job was to notify the Patriots if the British were coming by land or sea. And he had some other helpers as well that didn't make history quite like he did. But when they noticed the British were coming and they put the lanterns in the chapel to notify the Patriots, they got all the weapons out of Concord as best as they could, and they got the Minutemen ready. And so their next step was to confront the British, to confront the world superpower at the time, to confront an army well-funded, well-equipped, well-trained, well-experienced, with a bunch of teenagers and 20-year-olds who might have had their hunting rifles or a few muskets, severely outnumbered, not as well-equipped or trained. But their next step was to meet the British. And here you go, at Lexington on the green, you'd have your first skirmish or military conflict between the British and the Minutemen. What would happen? What would be the next step? You see, in this passage here that we have from 1 John, the author of 1 John, many biblical scholars would attribute it is the Apostle John. The Apostle John actually wrote quite a bit in the New Testament. You have his gospel, his three letters, and then the book of Revelations. So there's a lot in the New Testament written by John. This letter that John wrote is around 85 AD. So John was an old man when he wrote this. That's why he probably calls his audience little children because they were probably all younger than he was, even though they were probably adults. But John knew the importance of writing down his letters and sending them to churches because he was probably about to leave this earth. He was no, he's, he's going to probably die at some point. His gospel was written down. His letters were sent out to churches. And so John, being an apostle or disciple of Jesus, and in Jesus' inner circle, you think he would write down what would be the most important things for us to know today as Christians, as future disciples. And so when you get into this passage that we had in chapter 3, verse 11, John begins to talk about Cain. Cain, the brother of uh, Abel, the murderer of Abel, son of Adam and Eve. And here he talks about how Cain was the evil one. Now you got to think about Cain, though. His parents were Adam and Eve, and obviously he had a relationship with God, they also would have taught him probably right from wrong. Most parents teach their children of, hey, learn from my mistakes. Don't do this. And parents out there, I don't know how many times you probably told your kids, learn from my mistakes. Don't do this. So I'm sure Adam and Eve probably told Cain, learn from our mistakes. Don't disobey God. Do what pleases him. Learn from us. So Cain probably had a godly upbringing. But yet... He was a murderer and killed his brother. Why did he do it? How did evil get in there? 
He allowed his jealousy, his lack of faith in God, and hatred of his brother to take root in his heart. And he allowed it to fester to the point to where he took his brother out to the field and killed him. And then lied to God about it. You don't go to zero to 100 in the blink of an eye usually. It's usually a progression. And so John is telling us here in his letter to be wary of that, to be on the lookout for evil. Don't let it take root in your heart. And also to be aware, if you're like Abel and you're doing good in the world, also be aware that the world is going to hate you, that evil is going to hate you, and they're going to push back against you. So as you do good in the world, be on the lookout for that as well. So it's basically not an easy task to be a follower of Christ and to be sharing his love. But we all have to decide what will be, as a follower of Christ, our next step. How are we going to show that love? And I, and I really get excited as part of my Bible geek comes out in me when I read John's letter... 1 John chapter 3, and I get to verse 16. It's almost like a parallel to his gospel, where it's John 3.16. Because in his letter, he says this. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. It's like he's saying, hey, in my gospel, we all know that we were loved, that God sent his only son to come die on the cross for our sins, that we all be saved, whoever would believe. So he already is kind of like paralleling and saying, hey, remember in my gospel I said this? We are known that we are loved because Christ laid down his life for us. But then what's our next step as Christians? We have this love. We have the faith. What do we do with it? Then he says here in the same verse 316 of the first John, he said, and we ought to lay down our lives for, our, for one another. That's the tough part. We've got to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters for the world. And that is hard to do. That's our next step. And don't let your doubt, don't let your shame or whatever baggage you're carrying prevent you from showing love. Because he says this. He says, by this we know that we are from the truth. And we'll reassure our hearts before him, whoever our hearts condemn us, or however our hearts condemn us, for our God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. He knows your intentions. No matter what you do when you lay down your life, don't ever think it's not enough if your intentions are right and if your love is there. God knows your heart. He's not looking on the outwardly. He's looking on the inside. And in this time more than ever, the world needs Christians. More than ever, the world needs us to pray for them. The world needs us to sacrifice for the better of the world, to be that light. We are the ambassadors of God in this world. And so we are called to take that next step and step out there, and however we are called, and show God's love and love one another. Because two things can happen if you don't. If you don't, hatred would take root in your heart. And then your actions will show. And the other thing we have to be aware of is when we start doing that, the world may begin to hate you. And just be ready for that. But know that God never leaves your side in those moments.
But it's tough to take the next step. But the rewards, the rewards can be beautiful. Because God works in wonderful ways through us. And we can literally change the world in which we're in. Going back to our story of the battle here at Lexington at Concord, when the Minutemen decided to take that next step and confront the British, it didn't really go that well for them. More of them died than the British. Actually, none of the British died. They got a little injured. But what they did was they regrouped and met them on the North Bridge at Concord and actually pushed back the British and suffered less loss than, than the British did. And then they continued to chase them all the way back. And many people said if they would have continued on chasing the British, they actually could have cut them off completely, but they let them loose. And at that point, the Minutemen and the Patriots realized that, hey, we can do this. This is something worth fighting for. This next step is tough, but we're going to stand up. And a little over a year and a few months after that battle of Lexington and Concord, our founding fathers got together and sent a letter to the king declaring our independence and sent it to the world. And this is how we got to where we are today. And so they were not afraid to take that next step. Many sacrifices were made, but yet the benefits outnumbered it. And so as Christians, we are called to love our our neighbor. We are called to love our brothers and sisters. We are called to lay down our life for one another. And so while this may be challenging, my prayer for, for myself and for you and for everybody that's a Christian is that we find ways God's calling us to do that, to have the strength and the faith in Him, knowing that He will be there and that He knows truly what's in our hearts. And the world will be truly blessed because of it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here today, we give you thanks for the Word of God. We give you thanks for what John has told us in his letter, Lord, about laying down our lives for each other. Father, may you give us the strength and the ability and the clarity to do that in ways that are pleasing to you. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ and for the ministry that he led and for dying on the cross for our sins. It's because of him that we have a chance to be reconciled to you. So we pray this now in his name. Amen.